This is the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast, with your hosts Luke Silvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans, go Magic! What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. It is May thirty first, two thousand twenty one. It is Memorial Day. Hope you guys are enjoying the day with your friends and family, and uh, you know just. Thank you to everyone that you know has sacrificed so much for this country. We really, really appreciate it. As always, I am joined by my co-host Luke Sylvia. Luke, what up? Oh, not much, man. You got any got any plans for Memorial Day? Not really, not really. No, we're just packing. As some of you know, we're getting ready to sell our house and everything like that. So we're just packing, getting the house ready to to sell, and that's really about it. What about you? Uh, we might go over to some friends' house or something. Maybe grill out. Who knows? I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Hopefully, wherever, whatever I do, I hope there's there's burgers involved. Oh, at, whenever you do anything, like hopefully there's burgers involved. <laughs> Always true. a good time. Uh, you guys probably don't realize this. We're recording this actually on the 26th on Wednesday. We're recording a few days early this week. So any news that breaks after this, obviously you probably won't hear it on the podcast unless something crazy happens. And then yeah. I'm sure we'll, you know, like if someone's fired or, you know, something really crazy happens, we'll add to this episode. But we've got a really exciting episode for you guys. We had Jake Fisher. He works for Bleacher Report. He's a writer. He covers the NBA. Uh, he recently released a book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. So really starting with like the 2012 summer where the Magic traded Dwight Howard and then, you know, Sam Hinkie gets hired and everything like that goes through the Philadelphia 76ers, the Magic, the Suns, the Lakers, the Sacramento Kings. Just we had a really great conversation with him. It, it was a lot of fun, right, Luke? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a good time. There's a lot of a lot of stuff that actually does hinge on Orlando, and a lot of stuff that he ties back to Orlando um, in regard to tanking more so than I honestly would have thought um, in terms of you know you know what what helps start tanking and things like that without giving away too many details of the interview. It is a fun one. Um, it's it's a good length uh, of an interview with him. So we we had a great time doing that. Luke, so one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, one thing that I wanted to to bring up on the podcast that happened last night as the Nets were blowing out the Celtics, something happens, like Kevin Durant's going out of bounds, he gets bumped by Evan Fournier, as he's walking past Evan, he says something, and then Evan Fournier's like, yo, shut the F up, mm-hmm. you don't talk to me like that, says a few other choice words, and then drops the the B word on Kevin Durant. I'm not a big Kevin Durant fan. I will always be an Evan Fournier fan. I'm even more so an Evan Fournier fan after what we saw out of last night. What were your thoughts? I mean, I were you surprised by it? A little bit, yeah. Like that he went to that level. But I'm yeah. really not. Like Evan has always been the kind of guy that like, you know, respects everybody. So it doesn't shock me. I was surprised. I was not shocked. But um, you know that he like went, like he took it. He went to a hundred real quick. Were there any times in a Magic uniform where he just kind of went off on somebody, or was it mainly just him shouting? You know, there's that gif of him yelling, um, wearing the Magic uniform. But was there any was there any times where he really did something like that just to another player? Not like that. I mean, I'm sure there was some some trash talk. You know, a few like chippy moments in physical games, but nothing to that level ever. Yeah, playoffs will do that to you, I guess. But well, the funny thing, and I was talking to Carmen about this, is 
now that he plays for the Celtics and now that he's in the playoffs, he had that whole you know, instance with Kevin Durant. But when he played for the Magic, if he ever did anything like that, would be teed up immediately. Ever said a word to the ref, anything was getting a technical. And last night was like, like really about the smoke and, uh, you know, no technical foul or anything like that. But it was really good to see that. I was hoping for a little bit more in his postgame, you know, press conference. But he basically said, I'm not, I don't have anything to say about that. That's just playoff basketball. But we've never seen Evan like to that level. Were you surprised? Um, yeah, I mean, how couldn't you? Because like we can't recall anything off the top of our heads, and you guys can feel free to mention us on Twitter, or Instagram, comments, YouTube, whatever, and tell us um, if you guys remember Evan doing anything like that. Because I really, I really don't. Um, I just remember like certain times where he is just super intense, and that's just kind of who Evan is. Is like there's moments that just overtake him, and he whether it's with joy or with just like uh, I, I don't know, like understanding how big the moment is joy meaning like i'm specifically thinking about when they clinched for the playoffs and he was in that post game with with vooch that we've talked about so many times over the past few months with dante marcatelli um you know his emotion in that like he's a very emotional guy and so it was only a matter of time i think and i think that like being on the celtics who yes they are no match for the nets but they also aren't the magic right now uh talent wise probably is like feeling a little bit more swagger now that he's in boston He's he's in the playoffs, and he, you know, good for him. I mean, that was hilarious. I got a good laugh out of it um, when when I saw that happen. I've got to say, I think even if that happens in Orlando, nobody ever like really disrespected him that I can remember. Like KD, I think he's one of the corniest guys in the league. That's just my opinion. So it didn't surprise me that Kevin Durant was being disrespectful to another player. It just really didn't. I think if that happens in Orlando, Evan stands up for himself the same way. I don't think – Evan, to me, doesn't seem like the guy who his you know character, the way he acts, is really influenced by a lot of things. Like in losses, he was always honest. Wins, he was always honest. Always told you what was on his mind. But, yeah, it was just – it was really great to see. The other thing that was great to see was – like you look up Evan Fournier on Twitter and seeing what people are saying. Now there's some Nets fans that are like, oh my gosh, you guys are getting dusted by 30 and now you want to talk trash or saying, oh, KD would kill this fool or whatever. I would say like 95% of Twitter was like Evan Fournier is about the smoke and <laughs> what he said to Kevin Durant, it was all true. So to see that, and especially Boston fans, like they've had kind of a up and down relationship with Evan. I've kind of paid attention to, you know, kind of mm-hmm. what their feelings are since the trade deadline. Same with yep. the, the Bulls and the Nuggets. But Celtics fans were like, yo, we need to re-sign this guy. Like the Celtics fans were all about it. So that was really cool to see also. Yeah, and he had a good game last night. So that helped. So another big announcement that we announced on social media. If you guys don't follow us on social media, please do that. But we announced that we are adding a member to the team, to the family, mm-hmm. Kevin Tucker. Uh, who is going to be a content contributor for us moving forward. He's going to be doing articles, uh, you know, videos for us. He's also going to jump on the occasional podcast. I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing me and Luke over and over and over again. So Kevin will, will bring some awesome perspective. If you guys have been listening to Orlando Magic Podcast for a long time, Kevin used to co-host a podcast that I used to listen to called the Men in Blue Podcast. I want to say back in like 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. I'd love that. Do we want to like just quickly? Do we want to save the story for like the way that everybody's connected when we first get Kevin on the podcast? Because it's pretty crazy. Maybe yeah. we should wait for Kevin. To, yeah, we'll save to it. Tell you that. 
but yeah. it, it's really cool. So we're super excited about that. He's going to be a great addition to the team. Um, yeah, man, it's going to be awesome. But, Luke, we don't really have too much going on this week. Like we said, there's not really a, a ton of uh, news. What did you think of uh, the Trey Young hushing Madison Square Garden after he hit the game winner the other night? As someone who can't stand Trey Young, I, I, it's fine. Like, it's the playoffs. He made the heck of a shot. So, like, talk your stuff, I guess. But um, And right now, you guys can, I guess, tell me by Monday what the series is at now. But, you know, as, we, as we're here, the Hawks are up 1-0, and they're also up 11 right now at MSG in the third quarter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, Trey Young, like, you you ask for all the smoke now. MSG is going to give you all the smoke. Well, that doesn't really matter when <laughs> Julius Randle's one for seven from the field right now. RJ Barrett's four for eleven, and their best player is Derrick Rose. So, yeah, Emmanuel quickly's one for six. Burks is two for seven. Like it just doesn't matter. Like this isn't this isn't like the this isn't the Knicks from from way back doesn't matter that 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 Trey Young demanded all the smoke by doing that um, whether he realized it or not from MSG because guess what the FU Trey Young chance still happened tonight and they happened earlier and more often than they did the other night which really probably triggered Trey Young into doing what he did when he scored the game-winning bucket but man I don't I don't think it matters if if it's MSG or whatever because at the end of the day man like I I wanted the Knicks to win this series I thought they were going to win this series if they lose tonight like teams don't lose that much when they go up 2-0, especially when they go back home for that. So, it, whatever Trey Young was able to do that, but I blame the Knicks for letting him do that. To be honest with you, I so I'm not a big Trey Young guy just because I hate the way that he's officiated. Like I feel like he really gets an unfair whistle. Like when you look at guys like you know Zion or you know LeBron James, Giannis, like those guys are so hard to officiate because they're so big. And I feel like because of Trey Young's stature, he kind of gets the benefit of the doubt. I felt like in game one, the refs did a really good job for the first, you know, 43, 44 minutes of that game of swallowing the whistle. And then like the last three, four minutes, it was just like, okay, anytime anybody touches Trey Young, we're going to call it a foul. That being said, it was a great shot. And I loved him hushing saying, yo, it's, it got quiet as F in here because they were tr- screaming F you Trey, F you Trey. He hits the shot and then everybody's just quiet and then even after the game you get the role of him saying he's like man it got mad quiet in there I thought that was really funny but yeah I'm right there with you I thought the the Knicks were going to end up taking the the series but um, it doesn't look like that way right now I don't know if I've got Luke it kind of looks like we're, we're in and out here so I'm going to use this as an opportunity to kind of roll or uh, um, wrap up the intro here we're going to get right into the interview with Jake Fisher hope you guys uh, enjoy that it was a lot of fun All right, everybody. Uh, right now, we're joined uh, by Jake Fisher um, from Slam Magazine, Sports Illustrated, now with Bleacher Report, the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, first of all, thank you for joining the show. We're excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is, I'm, I'm excited to talk some, some magic basketball. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Obviously, the Magic just kind of went through their own kind of mini tank the last couple of months of the season there. Yeah. So we'll get to talking about that in, in a little bit here. But I really just wanted to hand it over to you, Jake. Obviously, you went through all the trouble of, of researching this book and 
and the the tanking era, you know, predominantly starting with the the Philadelphia 76ers and the the yeah. Sam Hinkie era. So just kind of tell us the story of what inspired you to write the book and and kind of go from there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned I'm, I'm from Philly originally, and I, I got my start as I was at Slam. I was also covering the Sixers for Liberty Ballers at SB Nation. But honestly, the tanking era starts, I think, a year before in 2012, when, you know, it wasn't just Hinky going to Philly, right? It was Rob Hennigan going to Orlando and Ryan McDonough in Phoenix and Pete D'Alessandro coming to power in Sacramento and David Griffin takes over in Cleveland. All these analytical-minded executives kind of tried to copy what OKC did from 2007 to 2009. Looking ahead at that 14 class, it was considered to be the best class since 2003, right? When LeBron, Wade, and Bosch were all together running the league at that time, all these teams thought, you know what? Let's punt a couple of seasons. Let's get the next generation of those superstars. And when the time comes, you know, when Miami's on the outs, like we'll be there. And that obviously it's worked out for some teams. Orlando started the process with the Dwight Howard trade before Hinky did. And I think it's interesting how all those teams are connected where you have um, Orlando, Philly, um, Phoenix and LA, like all combining together, sending Dwight and Steve Nash to the Lakers and Andrew Bynum goes back to Philly. Like all these teams that we thought were talking about, they're all kind of interconnected by that summer of 2012 when, you know, Boston also, that was the same time that they ran into Philly in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And it was the Celtics kind of last hurrah of really being a true contender. And, you know, sure enough, the Celtics trade KG and Paul Pierce the same night in 2013 as Hanky did with Drew Holiday. So all that's to say, I think as you guys can attest, like tanking wasn't just taking place in Philadelphia. There were a lot of teams around the league that were targeting that 2014 class, hoping that it would help them get the next generation of all-stars like, you know, Joel Embiid now is for Philly and Julius Randle and Devin Booker now are in their respective teams. I think one of the the most interesting things that, that I've gotten out of the book so far um, is you know, your meeting with, with Sam Hinky, which, you know, you can talk a little bit more about also. But one of the things that really jumped out to me was uh, how close Milwaukee was to drafting Joel Embiid in 2014. Mm-hmm. And to think about that now, you know, if we would have Giannis and Joel Embiid on the same team in Milwaukee, just, you know, kind of what that would look like. It just kind of would really, the, the league would look completely different now. But um, I'd really like to, I, I think the listeners would, would really love to hear about, you know, your, your meeting with Sam Hinkie and kind of how all that went down. It's pretty crazy. So what you're referring to is in the prologue of the book um, where I was a, I was a 20 year old um, former intern, kind of still an intern contributing writer or whatever for slam magazine, went down to Orlando summer league. And, you know, it's, Sam was familiar with my work covering the team for Liberty Ballers at SB Nation. And I pretty much just straight up emailed him and said, hey, like, I'm in Orlando. If you wanted to grab a meal sometime this week, like, let me know. So sure enough, like that day, he said, how about tonight? It's like, okay. So this was 2014. This was like only one year into his whole process. I mean, he was kind of, this was kind of the peak of his, then they took Joel Embiid it was, and Dario Saric and, and kicked the can down the road another year as, as the local uh, radio guys were complaining, right? So this was the peak of his um, boy band craziness, if you will, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, we, t- we walked across the street and went to this parking garage right there. That I think any Magic fan knows what I'm talking about. I used to know the streets, but I haven't been to Summer League. And it was a Congress Ave, wherever the roads were. I don't remember. Um, 
I know I know what you're referring to probably the the Geico garage. Um, yeah, I'm the not Geico familiar. garage. I'm not yeah. familiar with what street that is on, but it's kind of behind yeah. the Amway near all the loading docks where the players drive into the facility and everything like that. Yeah, sure. It was the Geico garage, and we we drove in a Chevy Suburban, only like a couple blocks over to the Grand Bahamian Hotel, where pretty much every NBA team I think stays in our away Atlanta. teams. Yeah. Um, but every team also is there during summer league too. Um, and we just ate in the lobby restaurant and talked hoops and team building and his strategy. And he, but what was interesting was he was kind of interviewing me. And I think that's a good insight as to who Sam Hinkie is. He is someone who doesn't really reveal a lot of cards upon his first encounter. He really likes to assess the person sitting across the table from him, assess the information that's coming from them, all that type of stuff. So. I thought it was really interesting that, I mean, I remember not so clearly, but this feeling towards the end of our time, like wa- like watching the clock, the window, as the, as the waiters come in to clear our plates, realizing like, I haven't got to ask this guy much. Like he's been dominating this conversation, navigating it. So that's just kind of, I mean, we're still, we're still in contact. I actually was texting him this week, um, but uh, he's definitely, he's definitely one of my favorite people. I've, I've come favorite in terms of just like, he's an interesting guy, you know, he's one of the, I, I say he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. So he's one of the, one of my favorite people I've come across in the NBA. Hey, how old were you, Jake, when you, when you had dinner with him in 2014? I was 20. Yeah. I'm 21. You were 20. Right okay. No, I'm, I'm 27 right now. Oh my God. <laughs> 21. I, 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 yeah. 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 So you were 20. Um, I, at this time you said you're writing and, and he was familiar with your work. Had you, as someone who like, is just enthralled and, and, and really does enjoy the, the networking um, and the concept of networking. Yeah. What was that your biggest connection that you had made to date in 2014 was with Sam Hinkie? Probably. Yeah. I think yeah. it was interesting. Like I've always looked a bit older now people say, Oh, like you look pretty young, but um, like I definitely looked 18 or so and I was like 14 or whatever so um <laughs> yeah. that helped when I got to be 18 19 20 years old talking to NBA people I remember there was one time I went out to a lunch with a coach who worked for a team that shall remain nameless at one point when I was 20 and I'm just like yeah he wanted he's like you want to grab a beer and I was like uh <laughs> no you know I gotta run to something afterwards like it's fine uh, like, I, mean, I don't I don't drink you know, <laughs> don't well, that out there. That can like rub some people the wrong way. I mean, the NBA right. is like a boys' club as much as that. You know, can be an issue. Um, you know, to uh, ingratiate yourself, some people like you gotta be a boy and you know drink some. Not not this. Women can do that too, but <laughs> you know, yeah, it helps when you're able to go have a beer with somebody at a bar and just shoot the shit. I'm right. sorry, can't curse on this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that was a very bad. I was very. I, we were steering down some cancelable territory. If you tell someone, not, and not to say that someone doesn't drink is bad, but um, oh, whatever. I'm gonna, you know what I'm trying to no, get. No, <laughs> no, absolutely, because it, it is like it's that way. Um, you know, I'm sure with with the NBA, um, I know especially like beer is pretty huge in Canada, um, yeah. and we have, uh, you know, I have some family friends who, um, you know, my my dad has a has a church down in Florida, okay, and my dad and and the church just like the the environment in florida with drinking with churches sometimes can be um you know oh we don't we don't drink at all 
but yeah. like up in up in Canada, um, the pastor there was like, oh no, we it's like disrespectful if you turn down someone's beer offer in, in yeah. Canada. So like we don't have any restrictions on our staff drink or anything like that because it is like it is disrespectful. Like it gets how it comes across. But Jake, what I wanted to ask you also sure. was going into that because there are a lot of people who who would dream of having you know dinner with anybody that is of yeah. any famous caliber, right? And I mean, and especially Sam Hinkie. Um, when you went to that, being 20, a report, you're writing and things like that, did you bring a notepad expecting to take a lot of notes about things? Did you not like, how did you balance like, okay, what's off record tonight versus like, what can I share in a freaking book seven years down the road? <laughs> well, as uh, Jonathan can attest, like, I, I didn't say much in the book about what we actually talked about. And I haven't Correct. said that either tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew very well. I mean, again, like we talked about, I was a year into his tenure. So we were pretty familiar at that point that he wasn't going to speak on the record. Um, I mean, that's, I think ultimately ended up being part of his downfall as well. I, um, he, he was always willing to get what I I think he still is. Um, I think he was always willing to grab a drink. Actually, I don't think he drinks come, come to think of it. Um, (laughs) But um, he's always down to grab dinner or grab lunch or coffee. I've met him for breakfast one time in Vegas during summer league um, just to have a conversation. And he's someone that I like to just ask questions to, like, what do you think of X, Y, and Z? And he just gives me his thoughts because he's a smart person. But the local Philly media and the national media, too, they wanted him to do their podcast and come on the radio. And he only spoke for his press conferences twice a year after the draft and after the trade deadline and the whole Joel Okafor situation, which we can get to later on if you want to talk about too, but you know, he gets in that fight in Boston and they don't say anything about it. The video comes out on TMZ. There's a arrest warrant out for him in Massachusetts. And the first person from Philadelphia to talk about it is Brett Brown announcing the suspension after he's already played games following that incident during his pregame press conference, which Sam Hinkie, it was at the garden in New York. Sam Hinkie was at the game and he refused to talk on the record at that game while they're fining and suspending their number three overall pick that year. So that type of behavior, while it was awesome for me, like we got to have a great conversation. I think he, you can get to know people in the the NBA better by now I kind of have a policy when I talk, when I meet people in the league, like, you know, we're off the record until we're on. Um, and that, I think I learned a lot of that from Sam and these, these guys are just people at the end of the day, like he's a right. father and a husband and a brother and a friend and whatever. He just happened to work for the Philadelphia 76ers and run the team and run a very polarizing version of it. So, um, all that's to say, I did not expect to take report, uh, notes on it. And that's also potentially maybe why he even, uh, isn't working in the NBA anymore. I think uh, Orlando Magic fans, sometimes we get a little bit frustrated with the lack of transparency with our own front office that we currently have, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond. I think Mm -hmm. Luke, probably specifically when it comes to injuries and, you know, timetables and and things like that and kind of trying to get inside their head. But it sounds like they're much more willing to, you know, divulge information. You know, they've both made appearances on, you know, local radio shows and everything like that in the Orlando area. But Jake, I wanted to ask you, you know, all the research that you did for this book, all the conversations that you had and all the things that you learned, what, what was the thing that really stood out to you the most that you weren't aware of, like that surprised you the most? 
Yeah, I mean, to that point, that's my biggest selling pitch on the book. I talked to over 300 people from players and coaches to agents and executives. And, um, you know, you mentioned the info and why Joel and B like could have gone to Milwaukee too. Like I've got, I mean, the whole book, you can attest, Jonathan, so far what you've, what you've listened to. Um, it's virtually all original material that you're not going to find anywhere else. Nope. I, yeah. The stuff that really blew my mind was all the Kings drama. I mean, there, I, yeah. I, I say the book is a, is a, is an anecdotal history of a bunch of different case studies of the same different idea, but just in different abstracts. So, you know, Philly was the most brazen one Boston. They moved on from KG and Paul Pierce probably a little early versus the Lakers were holding on to Kobe for so long and trying to build a contender around him even though he tore his Achilles and hurt his knee and hurt his shoulder. And they were the worst managed team for five years. The Lakers were the worst team from 2012 to 2017 in the entire NBA. And it doesn't matter. They still got LeBron in free agency and Anthony Davis wanted to go there. So that's to say that like other teams don't have that luxury. Orlando does not have that luxury. That's why you guys are rebuilding right away. The Kings were in the book as a case study for how to not tank hard enough that they got the Marcus at five but he was only there because of the interpersonal, you know, disciplinary type stuff that, you know, ended up rearing their ugly head in Sacramento. And they were never able to be worse enough after getting him to give him that complimentary star and his personality. And, you know, Vivek coming in in 2013, the same time all these other guys were talking about came to power and Pete D'Alessandro and Mike Malone infighting and they bring in George Carl. You think the crazy story in the whole book, is in 2014 summer league in Vegas when the Kings coaching staff has been hearing for months, pretty much since the, the, the day that Pete D'Alessandro got hired, that, oh no, the GM got hired after the head coach, the head coach is on the hot seat. They go through that year and that year is tumultuous too. They're hearing George Carl is, is the leader in the clubhouse. If uh, Mike Malone does get fired, Michael Malone, excuse me. Michael, Michael. Yes. yes Michael, Michael. <laughs> and sure enough, the coaching staff is out to lunch one day in Vegas on the strip. And everyone who's been to Vegas knows the strip is massive. There's thousands of restaurants and all these different hotels and whatnot. They're at this restaurant called La Pecheria. And as they're walking out, who walks into that very same restaurant, but Vivek Rana DJ, Chris <laughs> Mullen, who was then an advisor at the time and George Carl. I could not believe that in the book. So the odds of that. That's just one of crazy, crazy King stories. Like they, they once they did bring in George Carl. Now, at one point after the trade deadline, they were thinking they were going to get fired. Now, just one year later, they bring in um, Vance Wahlberg, this longtime assistant coach around the NBA, and they bring him in with, with Vlade and Peja and Mike Bratz, assistant GM, and they say we're firing you, Vance. And he says why? He said, and they say to send a message to George that. Vivek is the one in control here. Like that's the kind of stuff that doesn't happen in successful franchises. Right. right. So those King stories, I mean, that only told you two. Kings there's are like, going to Kings. There's like four more in there that are just like mind blowingly crazy. And uh, yeah, the magic by all, by all by, by comparison seemed like a pretty tepid glass of water, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a uh, really um, unfortunate, you know, lottery luck, you know, like 2013, you get the number two pick. The Magic weren't taking Anthony Bennett, so you just kind of have your, you know, the, the, your, you have the number one overall pick, essentially, and they take Victor Oladipo, and everybody knows the, the yeah. story of that. But I did want to ask you, you know, in your, your research with the, with the Magic, was there anything that, that stuck out to you there? Was there anything that you weren't aware of prior to the research for the book? Um, I don't think it's actually um, 
It is in the book. It is in the book. I, I couldn't get it entirely confirmed as one detail I'm about to say, but when the night that Jacques Vaughn got fired, or, the, or he got fired the next day, they, they played in San Antonio and then flew back to Orlando. And obviously that's where Jacques Vaughn comes from, Spurs guy. Um, someone had told me that he didn't even get on the team plane back to Orlando. I don't, I never got that confirmed, but that's just like wow. a little rumor and hearsay I'll throw out to your listeners. But that was definitely like a tumultuous year before he got fired and ended up going with James Borrego. And I remember hearing that, like, he was just a, was just a lighter mood in the locker room after that Spurs game. And then, sure enough, as the Magic players and other younger assistants are walking into the practice facility for practice the next day, they see, I think it was Brett Gunning and Wes Ansel Jr., like, packing up their offices and leaving. And that's how a lot of people in Orlando found out that Jacques Vaughn got fired. Like Kyle Quinn told me, because remember, these were all young guys and they right. were selling it to be this OKC 2.0, which, you know, I, I can expound on that a little bit more later because I think that's ultimately why Rob Hennigan didn't find success in Orlando. All these young players, they were so new and so raw and so fresh. Kyle Quinn told me that, like, my mom, his mom even was like, well, no, we love Jacques. Like, why is he leaving? And it's, it's just a hard business, man. And um, I, I think the overall things I learned about Orlando was that they really kind of had a hubris, I think, about themselves that, you know, the Thunder just picked KD, Russ, and Harden from 07 09. They were in the finals in 2012, baby. Like, let's go. We're right. just going to replicate that. We're going to take some athletes like Vic and, you know, trade for Tobias Harris the year before and then get Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton and we'll just be good. But I think what they neglected was they didn't really account that KD, Russ, and Harden are not just KD, Russ, and Harden. They're all uniquely hardwired. There's types of guys, like, in the NBA who, like, I'm one of the best and I need to play with one of the best and, like, he's going to beat me and I'm going to beat him. We're going to make each other better. There's other guys who are, like, I'm one of the best. I'm better than all you guys. And like, I need to prove that. And that's, I think what the magic ended up having an issue with, you know, they take, they take Vic in 2013 and then they trade for Tobias Harris. But in the next year, they bring in Aaron Gordon, who uh, was a great pick in a vacuum, but they brought him and Tobias right in at the same time where they're both, you can have tweeners and obviously positional guys like that in a a modern NBA is perfect, but they're both trying to figure out, they're both still so raw offensively. And like, you can't try them at the three and the four at the same time because they're both like, oh my God, I don't really know what to do. Then they bring in Alfred Payton after trying to play Victor on the ball. Like Channing Fry told me that eventually when when he came into that situation, he gave me this analogy of like rats on the ladder, right? which is just such a gross, but like perfect solution of it. Like Tobias got that big contract and every one of those guys was like, all right, I got to get my contract now too. And they were were just never able to find like a synergy and a a core. It was just a bunch of young raw athletes put together and they were going to see what happened. And what happened is they're doing what they did before this trade deadline. And yeah, Jake, you talked a little bit. I mean, you, you definitely have started to allude to it, but um, you said, you know, Hennigan's downfall basically what if you had to to pinpoint and maybe you talk about this in the book um I'm not sure but if you had to pinpoint okay this is this point right here specifically is where the magic's rebuild just fell apart completely under Hennigan yeah 
if I had to pick a point, I would say that, I mean, everyone knows the Christos Porzingis story at this point where they had promised him in 2014, they were trying to get him to stay. He doesn't, he goes back to Spain. You know, I talked to Christos about it uh, straight up and um, he was just like, yeah, I want, I wanted to go back to Spain and move myself up the lottery and get a higher contract and become a bigger star. And that worked. The Magic, like you mentioned, you know, never had good lottery luck. Where do they fall in 2015? But one spot below the Knicks who promised Porzingis. So that's not to say that not getting him was like the point where it all went, but taking Mario Hazonia, I was a big fan of Hazonia too, but there was a lot of Intel out about him that, you know, he, confidence was a thing um personality stuff like he was a young kid and bringing another young kid into that fold I think was I think that 2015 it was kind of the same thing type in Philly right where they take Jaleel Okafor and the other stuff the off-court stuff ends up making the, the noise louder about oh my god they just it's a Ponzi scheme they just keep blah blah blah, blah. I don't think the magic were as that but Taking another young, really young, I mean, he was young. He was like a kid. I mean, I, I talked to people in Portland who went, went to, I don't even know, I don't even remember when he was there. Um, but they were, even they're talking about just like, he's just a kid. And I think that's not, that's not a knock on Mario Hazonia. It's just, he couldn't have been, he needed to be like the kid on the team, not one of seven, you know? Mm-hmm, right. And there's only so many mouths to feed. There's only so many hands to feed all these mouths in terms of like player development stuff. You know, I just think they added one more dynamic of someone who needed, I mean, Aaron Gordon was so raw too. It just, they bit off more than they could chew. Yeah. And, and Jake, we can, we can backtrack because obviously we want to talk more about the book and, and kind of the origin of tanking and, you know, what really was the fire and, and all that. And, you know, you've touched on it, but I do want to talk about um, the kind of the parallels where the magic before under Hennigan started to uh, kind of go kind of like they started the downfall of the magic was that they had so many young players. Right. So now you look at the magic and I believe that the magic have the youngest roster in the yes. NBA currently. So what can the front office do now that that Hennigan didn't do in order to kind of right the ship and and stop teetering on this um really dangerous ice of like we could sink at any moment because we're too young so there's one thing i want to clarify i don't think it's that they just had too many young players that was a huge criticism of philly like oh there's just just losing culture like they need better that's not what i'm saying i think that there's only so many young guys who um, need that much attention and skill development at once that you can really afford to work with and like also keep getting better. Like at a certain point, if you're developing, if like five guys are your top priority to develop, like how are you putting in like sets and working on team D? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just, there's only so much you can do to improve within the season anyway. Like most of these guys get better in the off season, but even then, like, when teams send an assistant coach to go work with somebody at their off season home, like you only have so many assistant coaches. So if you've got five guys who are like, we need to do this, 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 and this, and they're all equally important to our thing. It's just a lot. Um, so moving forward, like right now, they already have Markel and J.I. like ahead of the cycle, right? Like they both Markel and J.I. have a lot to improve on their own. Right. 
but they at least kind of have like established roles and identities in the NBA. Once you have an established identity and a role, then you're good to go. Like Tobias had no idea what he was. Aaron Gordon had no idea what he was. Victor Oladipo had no idea what he was. Maybe they thought they knew what they were, but like the magic and that guy weren't on all those guys. They did not necessarily say like, okay, you're our point guard. You're our shooting guard. You're, you're on the wing. You're do that. You shoot, you pass. They just had all, they just were trying to make everyone be good at everything. That's, that's how I was, that's what I was told. And they never really refined it really. They just kept trying to boost them all and maximize all their potential when you got to at a certain point build a team. So I think that's the big piece here. You already, you already have your starting point guard. You already have, I mean, J.I. is not necessarily a center, but you've got a, a front court, you know, rim protector, linchpin of your defense. Like you've got to fill in the gaps from there and ultimately try to grow these guys into something that is complementary, even like Philly right now. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid aren't exactly complimentary, right? But they have figured out a way to develop those guys both, and they both have gotten better in the context of I'm playing next to Ben Simmons, I'm playing next to Joel Embiid. So I, that's my long rambling answer. <laughs> I think one of the things, that, and you just kind of alluded to it, I think it was Channing Fry said they had a tough time like figuring out who the big dog was. Yeah, the and- alpha dog was a thing Channing Fry was telling me left and right, yeah. Yeah, and it really felt like that. I mean, Luke, I don't know if you can speak to this, but the entire Hennigan era from like 2012 to literally like the trade deadline is that nobody ever really established themselves on the leader as the leader of the team. Like we had leaders and we moved all of them at the trade deadline. If you look at Evan Fournier, Nikola Vucevic, Aaron Gordon at the time, but when it was Tobias and Alfred and Victor Oladipo, it just kind of felt like they were, again, like the rats on the ladder. Everyone's just trying to climb over each other rather than letting one guy up go at a time and come back down. And then the next guy can go and, and, and try to develop and, and yeah. everything like that. And I was, I just wanted to kind of add to that and sorry to cut you off, Jake. Um, so what I wanted to add was the, the team itself, like the players were young and it didn't seem like, like you said, no, nobody knew who the alpha was in that scenario. Right. Um, so, but the interesting thing is like, Hennigan and and obviously this played a huge part in it, of it. Hennigan was the main part of of everything, right? Yeah. So the fact that he was the youngest to ever be hired to run an NBA team, youngest GM ever, and yeah, and, and well, he was thirty, I think. Yeah, I think so he far behind. I think, I think he was only thirty four when he took the job. So maybe right. That's also, why he talked to a twenty year old kid. Like <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so Hennigan being young himself stepping into his first role, being the youngest, you know, usually when, when they, you know, GM step into roles, they've been in the game for a little bit. They, yeah. They've learned enough. And, and Hennigan clearly by taking that role thought that he had learned enough. Um, but maybe in fact, he hadn't learned enough, which is why the magic ended where they ended with him. Um, and maybe it, it wasn't smart that the magic hired, you know, the youngest GM ever um to then hire a bunch of you know bring on a bunch of other kids who like he didn't know what their roles were and they couldn't really find you know a a niche for those guys yeah i mean it's not to pile on rob hennigan because also one thing we can do that we don't mind we don't (laughs) mind well i have i mean an interest in maybe talking to rob hennigan one day so i'm I'm trying to put a little (laughs) fair that's we understand yeah off the record off the record (laughs) No, it's on the record to say that one thing I've learned 
from this book and also just my years covering the league and the, the more I get to talk to people, um, it's it, part of being a team. I mean, I, I'm in a dynasty fantasy draft right now, the first year from a football league. And it's crazy. We're trading picks left and right. I got anxiety through the, through my chest about, you know, drafting my team for the next 10 years. These guys are doing it for multi-million dollar organizations, right? Billion dollar organizations. So there's so many different unforeseen variables that pop up into play, like Joel Embiid getting hurt before the draft or falling from two rather than the one and 13, even though it wasn't that big of a deal, but, you know, or not, not really getting your hands on Chris Porzingis, right? And it's about mitigating those unforeseen variables as best as you can and not diverting from your path, but pivoting when necessary. And I think that is hard for a lot of people when your plan doesn't necessarily start going to, going as you want it to be and a lot of a lot of people in the NBA it, it's a it's pretty common a lot of front offices they overvalue guys that they drafted because they want them to be good right you draft them for a reason so maybe that was also part of the factor in uh you know heading in quote-unquote demise or maybe he, these were his darlings you know and um there's a there's an expression in writing kill your darlings like get rid of you know things that are too fluffy you know maybe they should have tried to start to move some stuff around. And, you know, the Tobias deal, I think, from reporting I've done, from people I talked to in the organization, it sounds like they gave him that contract extension um, as much to be, like, he'll be good value. We could trade him later as much as um, that was what he was, like, worth to them in terms of a guy they wanted at that number on their cap sheet. And when you start doing stuff like that, um, you know, not to say that that was a mistake, but there's ripple effects that can happen from that. And if you don't trade your guy or whatever, like there's issues that can arise. Um, so I think, th- I think all that's to say, like getting Alfred Payton after doing the whole Victor Oladipo experiment is I think the, the one I really pinpoint the most, especially because this is something new in the story. I mean, maybe it's gone, come out before too, in the book, excuse me. Um, you know, a lot of people from Philly and Orlando told me that Hinky had through a contact. I don't, I don't know who it was. Hinky had inside information that Orlando wanted Alfred Payton in 2014 at, at number 12. And that's why they took him. They did not take him because they wanted him and they were, Oh, we're, we're aware. Oh yeah. They took, yeah, him we got, we got fleeced. Yeah. yeah. They took him because they knew Orlando wanted him and they gave up a first, a future first round pick just to move up two spots. And they didn't really give up the first, they just gave it back to Philly, but you know, they sacrificed an asset to do that. And that's something where I feel like, you know, that's mitigating, you know, a disaster, even like your Intel got out there, you got screwed. So for a guy also that was going to step on Old Depot's toes, you know, he, he wasn't a point guard at the end of the day, but he also wasn't a point guard that I think, um, you know, he, Alfred Payton was a hot topic and a, and a hot rising prospect that year. But Victor, Victor already had kind of shooting question marks. He wasn't like – he didn't come in as a knockdown guy, right? So now you put in two point guards who don't necessarily know what position they are. Are they going to be able to score in this league at the same time? Again, it's like there, there's so many – there's too much overlap of all those guys, Peyton and Oladipo, Gordon and Harris, whatever. Even like Vucevic doesn't fit the, that, that type of fix. They're, they're drafting all these athletic guys, and they have Vucevic – painted on the uh parked on the block and Evan Fournier comes in like there are just so many pieces that 
you know, even talking about it, like we're talking in circles because it's just like, that's just what it was. And I feel like that's probably how it felt while, while people were in the day to day of it too. The thing, one, one more thing that I wanted to say about Hennigan kind of where we, I think magic fans kind of give him like the benefit of the doubt is starting with like the Scott Skiles era that really felt like Alex Martins and ownership had a huge hand um, in that decision. And then the, the trade for Tobias Harris, Brandon Jennings and Ursan Ilyasova, yeah. Scott Skiles tries to quit in, in January. And it kind of felt like that was the move to keep him there. There was a lot of rumors about Tobias Harris and Skiles tumultuous relationship when they were both in Milwaukee. So we all felt like, oh, it's kind of only a matter of time that Tobias is going to kind of get screwed over here with Skiles. But that was like the that was the the start because it was you move Tobias and then that offseason, the night of the draft, you trade Oladipo and Sabonis for Serge Ibaka. And it, it yeah. just kind of felt like he was, you know, fighting for his job at that point. Do you have any insight into, you know, that yeah. was that at all influenced by upper management? Yeah, I mean, from from what I was told, they brought in Scott Skiles to be a partner in turning those guys into something and, you know, turning them into deciding who was the alpha dog and whatnot. And Skiles definitely loved Victor Oladipo. Um, I think he really thought Oladipo had the biggest star power of that whole group. Um, Benched him at one point. Yeah, I think probably because he wanted to hold him more accountable and say, you know, you're not getting the job done. He was a really, really hard-nosed guy. I remember talking to multiple players who said that, you know, they would just run hard at each other, full court fives in practice. That's And, like, they got out to a hot 19 and 13 start that year, right? But yep. And then of, Alfred Payton got hurt and everything fell apart. Yeah, and then T- Tobias got hurt and Vucevic got hurt. Yeah. And, Gordon, and a lot of the guys, you know, they started getting tired from all that off. Like, now this, the game's all about rest and recovery. And, sure, those young guys probably needed to run and get after it and get better. But, um, you know, it takes a toll over an 82-game season. So, uh, I think – he also did think Tobias was good and wanted to grow him into something, but Tobias has always been like a high volume shooter type guy. And, you know, it's taken him a while to get to where he's at in Philly right now. I mean, he was a very maligned figure with the Sixers the last couple of years up until this season. And even this season, he had a pretty uh, quiet close to the year, got pretty cold. And, you know, I remember listening to a Sixers podcast and, um, like my friends, Mike, Mike, Mike uh, Levin, Spike Eskin, uh, writes Ricky Sanchez, and they're talking about, you know, are they worried about what Tobias can do in the postseason? So I, I think everyone who's been around Tobias in the NBA up until this point, they love the guy. They think he's the best dude, but they always have wondered if he really has it, if he really is, you know, a 1B type guy. Um, so I think, um, I think that really – I don't think they had a huge falling out and hated each other. I think it was just like he had maximized his time there and they already gave him that contract for the value that we talked about. And they saw an opportunity and someone with the magic front office told me they saw it as an opportunity also to clear the books. Like Ilya Sova's deal was expiring. I believe or had two years left. Jennings' deal was expiring. They saw it as an opportunity. They, they got some type of asset back. They didn't just get those two guys. I forget what it was. Um, but they saw it as a chance to just wipe their hands clean of some cap stuff and go into the, you know, that, that free agency and whatever. And obviously that didn't work out either, but um, again, like pivoting correctly and sufficiently, I think were the big issues that popped up there. They were never able to do that. Every time they pivoted or made a different decision, 
it kind of ended up backfiring or not working out. Yeah. And so that kind of, I think, unless Jonathan has anything else about kind of the history, the recent history of the magic, um, I think it kind of wraps that up. I want to get into, like I talked about and alluded to what ignited um, the tanking era. Like what, what, what was the, the turning point? And again, going to ask you to pinpoint something like, what was it? I think I think it is that Dwight Howard four team trade like we like we mentioned. Um because all those teams involved in that deal, in, even including Denver, um, they all wanted to make that move thinking they were gonna be getting better and inching their way towards contention, right? LA, Denver, Orlando, Philly. Um and at the same time the the Suns trade Nash and you know, the Celtics, you know, they're they're not they're not not far behind, but the heat were really the the heat and the thunder. I think were the biggest factors, and that 2014 class had seven guys. Like this 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 class in 2021 is considered a five player draft. That 2014 class was considered seven players. Wiggins and Parker were on the cover of SI or on the cover of Slam at that preseason, and Beat was an afterthought. Then you had Aaron Gordon and Marcus Smart, you know, shocked the world by going back as a sophomore. And Dante Exum was considered this international man of point guard mystery. Um, and Julius Randle r- rounded it out at number seven. So people, I mean, I, I don't think that draft Twitter, you know, projecting, you know, Tankathon didn't happen. Didn't, I, I interviewed the man, Matt Hoover, this guy, he's a Chicago Bulls fan. He created Tankathon. Um, I believe it was in the 2013, 14 season. Um, you know, that didn't exist then either. Like, the hype around building for that draft also coincidentally overlapped with all these analytical minded executives who realized most of all, we, to, to win a title, you need to have multiple all-stars. Look at Miami, look at OKC. And if the best way to get one to sign with you in free agency is to draft them already and have them join you or to draft multiple at the same time. So all those factors overlap with each other. And, and I really think it starts in 2012, looking forward to 2014 because of the heat and what the heat were doing. So last thing we wanted to ask, you, you know, we've talked so much about the history of the book and obviously the history of the magic. We wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the current state of the magic. We talked yeah. just really briefly about Markel and, and J.I. So uh, what's your feeling about, you know, the, the current state of the magic, obviously we're hoping to get, you know, number one, two or three pick in this year's draft. Um, If that comes to fruition, what's your outlook like for the magic over the next few years? Yeah. I mean, obviously who the guy they get is pretty, will be pretty interesting. Um, I liked the halls they got back. I mean, I thought they did really well for Vucevic. I thought they did pretty well for Aaron Gordon too. I mean, I know that that front office was really high on RJ Hampton think he was someone they were considering at 15 when they took Cole Anthony. Um, I mean, Wendell Carter is someone who's shown on flashes. Gary Harris is a pretty good veteran to have around. Like he, he might be expiring soon. I, I don't remember what his con- – you guys probably know better than me. He's got one more year after this year. year left, so he'll be around. Um, Terrence Ross, I think, um, is like – Two more years. Yeah, I think he's like a good – locker room guy at this point in his career he was like a goofball young dude for a while right but I think he's kind of aged into a solid veteran so you've got that in place you know the coach the coaching situation is interesting I mean I'm not so sure Steve Clifford's going to be around to wait out a whole rebuild um I, I, I could happen sooner rather than later honestly um 
I, th I think the big, what this ultimately comes down to though is health, right? Like when you talk to anyone with Orlando, when I was talking to people with Orlando back around the trade deadline, kind of after the dust had settled, they were all super excited. Like, you know, we've got, we've got Kel, we've got J.I., we can do this. And those are two guys who obviously have had very bad injury histories and they're very like young and unproven as much as they've shown a lot of potential. So there's two sides to that coin. The potential is really tantalizing and exciting with those two guys in particular. But we talked about all-stars are what drive this, right? Like if those are your guys and you can't um, you know, depend on them to be healthy, they'll be interesting. I'm not saying that I'm worried about Orlando. I'm worried, but it's, that's kind of what I think it comes down to. If those guys are healthy and they get, you know, Kate Cunningham or a complimentary piece, you know, Jalen Suggs, maybe he's just like a do-everything guard and they share the backcourt. I don't know. There's already a lot of guards in place there. And maybe that's getting, you know, close to the whole Hennigan stuff like we just talked about. But whatever. If they get a piece in this top five that pushes them to the next level and those guys stay healthy, um, I mean, who's to say they couldn't get right back in the playoff picture within two years or so? But they've got the pieces already in place. Well, that's certainly our hope. We're all Magic fans are just waiting over the next four weeks, June 22nd, the, the draft lottery, and then we'll start to see what's what and where we're going to pick and everything like that. For us, you know, it's Cade Cunningham, and then after that, it's like Cade, Jalen Green with Magic fans. It's one or the other, or, you know, we're all just going to be pretty disappointed. But, Jake, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time and joining the show. I'm really enjoying the book. going to, you know, finish that. If you guys haven't read that book, get your hands on it. Jake, do you want to let the everyone know where they can find the book and where they can find yeah. you on social media? It's called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. And like I said before, the, the original reporting, the storytelling, the new information, that's you're not going to find it anywhere else. And I promise you, if you're a basketball fan, if you love rumors and all that type of stuff, you know, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. Um, you, can, you, you can get it on Amazon, bookshop.org, if you want to support a local bookseller, Barnes & Noble, I publish a triumph books. Um, you know, it's, uh, it would be great if you guys support him. And on Twitter, I'm just Jake L. Fisher, Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And, uh, I've got all my, my promo stuff for the book. You know, if you want to follow along, I'm putting that out there. I put out my stories for Billy Report once a week. So yeah, it's just fun guys. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope you guys are rooting for a playoff team pretty soon. Absolutely. One last question. What, what's next? Is there another book in the works or? I hope, um, Right. What's next is I'm going to hopefully make a, a good pick in my dynasty fantasy football league. But yeah, <laughs> I, I want to. Uh, I, I, I'm starting the research right now for hopefully book number two. And, um, you know, I got my stuff at BR, and you know, just gonna keep finding new stories about the NBA. Well, we'll definitely be following you, man. We look forward to hopefully a second book. But for Jake Fisher, for Luke, this has been Jonathan. You guys are listening to the Six Man Show, and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Six Man Show and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic!